um, where we really lead up anticipation for Jesus' birth. So I want to welcome Leif to come up. Leif is going to speak about hope. So thank you, Leif. All right. You guys hear me well? People in the back? All right. Good deal. So my name's Leif. I'm one of the elders here at the Mustard Seed Church. It is great to see all of you here this morning. And as Brittany said, we are into Advent. It's hard to believe, huh? Seems like November just started and now we're talking about Advent. So today is the first Sunday of Advent. We're starting off a series which will take us right up to Christmas. So there's going to be four Advent Sundays. Advent means arrival or coming. And it's the season in which we celebrate Christ's arrival on earth. And it is also a time to look forward to Jesus' second coming. So Advent is something that's been celebrated in Christian churches since at least the 400s AD, if not before that. Those are the oldest records we have on that, but it's an ancient tradition. It's taken all kinds of different forms in different churches over the years. But the one we're going to do is we're going to focus on four themes. So this morning's going to be hope. Uh, from there, we're going to go faith, joy, and peace. And we're doing the Advent wreath. I'm not sure we've done this in the mustard seed before. Kurt, can you? Maybe, maybe once? I, yeah. yeah, okay. So this, I think this part started like in Germany in the 15... 1500s or 1600s or something, but this is the, the four candles represent the four Sundays. So this odd, odd man out here, this is the joy candle. And so we're going to, oh, my sound's cutting out. We're going to start here and then each Sunday we'll light a new candle until we've gone all the way around and have all four candles lit. So I am lighting the hope candle. And these humongous candles are just resting on these saucers. So if you're in this area, if you could avoid like sneezing or doing anything um, that might knock this over, I'd, I'd appreciate that. So we'll try to find some candle holders big enough to hold these humongous candles. <clears throat> All right. So as we talk about these four Advent themes, we're going to do so um, from a perspective of the kingdom of God. So we're going to kind of bring the kingdom into these four themes and look at how these these ideas of hope, faith, joy, and peace apply to God's kingdom and uh, get hopefully a little bit of theology about God's kingdom. Start to kind of put, put a framework together to help us to understand the kingdom. Um, let me pray before I get into the message here. Father, we... We thank you for this season, and we look with anticipation um, to Christ's coming. Even though we're celebrating something that's already happened, we still have that, uh, that sense of anticipation in our hearts. And I pray that that would be in hearts this morning as we get into your word and receive what you have for us this morning. Help us to get our hearts into the right place during this season to appreciate the gift that you gave in your son, the ultimate gift to mankind. 
I pray that you would help me to do a faithful job as I bring the word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you can pull up the first scripture, I like to jump right in. Some, some people like to kind of hang on to the scripture until later in the message, but I like to jump right in. So we're going to jump into some scripture this morning. If you would prefer to read along in your own Bible, this is Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 25 and go through verse 28. So there's a traditional reading for Christmas time that comes out of the uh, second chapter of Luke. How many of you have seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special? Probably most, most in the room, right? So that's the passage that Linus reads when he's on stage in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I just became aware of this fairly recently, but... Linus is the guy who's always got his security blanket with him, right? When he, when he gets up there in the spotlight and starts to recite from Luke, the moment he quotes the angel saying, fear not, he drops his security blanket. It's kind of subtle. It kind of happens like out of the screen, but then it, it backs away and you see it, that security blanket that meant so much to him is just laying there on the floor. Pretty, it's, it's intentional and it's pretty powerful. Uh, if you think about it, someone's probably preached a whole sermon on that, but uh, watch for it next time you next time you watch the show. So this passage, we're going to hop in. Um, Jesus has been born. His parents are about to take him to Jerusalem to fulfill something that was in the law, where if your firstborn child was a son, you were to dedicate that son to the Lord. And so they're headed to Jerusalem um, to do that. I am going to read off the screen because I think this is a different version than I have in my notes. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25, Jesus and his parents um, headed into, into the temple in Jerusalem. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. I want you to remember those words, the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Um... See, keep going. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is destined, sorry, is appointed, I was reading off of my version, for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that, the thought, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So um, I'll pause right there. I. The thing I wanted you to notice was um, that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
Also, it's really interesting that uh, what he prophesied about Jesus, he mentioned that Christ's birth was for the Gentiles as well as for Israel. That idea was ahead of its time. So he was speaking prophetically, and as we read through the New Testament, we see that um, initially the Jews believed and understood that the gospel was for them. And it would just kind of slowly be revealed that no, it was actually for the entire world. So a little little sneak peek there. Um, All right, let's keep going. So that was Simeon. Here comes, here comes the next character we're going we're to meet here. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And I want you to remember those words, the redemption of Jerusalem. So these two characters appear as Jesus is being presented at the temple. And they're waiting for, in Simeon's case, the consolation of Israel And then Anna was part of a group who were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. Consolation is for someone who's experienced a loss, right? If we go to console someone, it's someone who's grieving or they've experienced a loss of some kind. And one of the definitions of redeem is to deliver from sin and its consequences, So I want us to take those thoughts and and look at Israel and the state that Israel was in in those days. So Israel, God's chosen people, had lost her way as a nation, had lost her way through years of sin and rebellion against God. And so they were living out the consequences of that sin and rebellion against God. And the loss was that they lost their kingdom. The Romans occupied Judea, so they didn't even control their own land anymore. In addition to that, there had been 400 years where there were no recorded prophecies. So if you're reading the Old Testament and you come to the book of Malachi, and then you you know, you know flip the page and it's the Gospel of Matthew, there's 400 years there where uh, no prophecies were recorded. So Israel was in a place where she needed consolation and she needed redemption. Despite all this, Simeon and Anna were living in hope and they both had a reason to be hopeful. I believe the reason they were hopeful was that they had studied scripture and they knew that there was a long series of prophecies about a time that would come and a person that would come And they believed that Israel's consolation and her redemption had arrived in the person of Jesus Christ, this baby that Simeon took up in his arms when he praised God. So I want to, I mean, I could spend probably a couple of days like going through all these prophecies, but I'm just going to pick out a few prophecies that, um, 
they would have been familiar with and maybe were in their minds when they were witnessing Jesus brought into the temple. Uh, Daniel spoke of a time when God's kingdom would replace the kingdoms of this world. I think I have that one on a slide. This is Daniel uh, chapter 2, verse 44. So he's just interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And in that dream, uh, the meaning of the dream was uh, showing that a series of kingdoms were going to come on the earth. So it's like the Medes and the Persians, um, Babylon, Greece, Rome, this series of kingdoms. And then Daniel, as he's explaining to Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of this dream, he says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Um, so that's Daniel 2, verse 44. Daniel chapter 7 also talks about an eternal kingdom that would come upon the earth. Um, Isaiah 2, I'm not going to read the chapter, but just kind of summarize. That chapter speaks of a time when all the nations on the earth who had been involved in all kinds of idolatry, worshiping false gods, they would all throw away their idols, beat their swords into plowshares, so like they would have no more need to fight. So they would take their weapons that they were used to using to fight. They'd make them into plowshares so they could plant crops. And they would all come under the rule of God's law, the, the true God, the creator of heaven and earth. Uh, Zechariah in chapter 14 spoke of a day in which the Lord would place his feet on the Mount of Olives and would fight on Israel's behalf. So um, there's all these nations coming against Jerusalem to fight Israel. It says the Lord will place his feet on the Mount of Olives and he will fight on their behalf and destroy all their enemies. They won't have to fight. So those at the time of Simeon and Anna who knew scripture and believed God's promises had hope in one called the Messiah who would usher in the kingdom of God. But there was a sort of complexity or attention to these prophecies, and I want to talk about that a little bit. As a person of that day would have studied the prophecies about the Messiah, um, they took two kind of different flavors, these prophecies did. On the one hand, you've got descriptions of this great prophet. You know, Moses said that, that one would come after him who's a great prophet like him, um, but greater a king who would be in the family line of, of King David and would sit on David's throne, except that he would be eternal. Um, and like I already said, <clears throat> like I already said, one who would destroy all the enemies of God's people. So you've got those kind of prophecies. And on, on the other hand, you've got these prophecies that have a more ominous nature. Isaiah 53 says them, that the Messiah will be despised oppressed, smitten, and wounded. Psalm 22 describes the Messiah being crucified along with criminals. In, um, in intricate detail, and the practice of crucifixion wouldn't even come along for hundreds more years. And yet if you read that, 
There's no way it could be talking about anything else. So we have this mix of prophecies over the years um, of the Old Testament that could be divided into two streams. And I'm going to call those two streams the suffering servant and the victorious king. So what to do with this tension? Part of human nature is that we tend to hear what we want to hear. And so as people of that day formed their expectations of who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do, they tended to focus on the victorious king prophecies. And they tended to kind of overlook the more confusing and unpleasant um, prophecies about the suffering servant. So we, of course, today have uh, the benefit of hindsight and we can recognize that the reason these two streams of prophecy are so different from each other is that although they are talking about the same person, they're talking about two separate appearances of Jesus on the earth. The suffering servant is the first coming, the one that we celebrate at Christmas. The victorious king is the one that we're looking forward to at the end of the end. So I want to shift um, from these prophecies about the Messiah a little bit more back to the kingdom at this point and ask the question, has this prophecy from Daniel, can we put that one back up on the screen? This prophecy from Daniel about God establishing a kingdom that would stand forever, has this been fulfilled My answer is that I would say yes and no. Not a very satisfying answer, maybe, but I'll explain why I say that. So when Jesus um, came into adulthood, he began his ministry. He began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 8.1 says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He told people that the kingdom was near or that the kingdom was at hand. And he would use the terms kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven kind of interchangeably to talk about this kingdom. He, Jesus told his disciples that to them it was given to understand the things of the kingdom while it wasn't given to, to others who were listening to his teachings. He told them the kingdom of God is within you. So Jesus brought the kingdom to earth. But at the same time, he taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So clearly there's a, there's a tension here. The kingdom came with Jesus and yet he's telling us, wait for the kingdom, look for the kingdom, pray for the kingdom. Some people call this the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. So Jesus had a whole string of parables that he taught where he tried to explain what the kingdom was like. Um, and he, he used analogies and he compared it to different things. And I think the one that over the years I've maybe found the most helpful 
is the one where Jesus says the kingdom is like some yeast that a woman put into three measures of flour and the yeast worked its way through the flour until the entire um, mess of flour was leavened or, or had yeast in it. Three measures of flour is about nine gallons of flour. So like two five-gallon buckets, about that, that amount of flour. <clears throat> Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So when that yeast that started out as just a little pinch in the dough, when it finishes working its way through all that dough, then the kingdom will arrive in its fullness. Another couple of thoughts that sort of, sort of explain this tension um, of the now and the not yet. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And in Revelation 11, 15, it says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So this is uh, an idea we're going to be exploring more in the coming weeks as we continue through our Advent series. Wow, sorry, I'm just distracted for a second. This candle has hardly, it's melted like that far <laughs> since I lit it. Were these expensive candles? That's amazing. Most candles are like, you know, down to here by this point. There's a big mess of wax at the bottom. So that's, that's a quality candle. Right <laughs> so the kingdom is here, but we're waiting for the kingdom. But in the here and now, we get to experience God's kingdom. When we walk into a home uh, where, where Jesus is honored, where Jesus is king, and God's commands are followed. How many of you have walked into a home and you, you've just felt that, ooh, like you can, you can sense, that's, that's the kingdom. That's like a little pocket of God's kingdom that you're walking into in a moment like that. When we worship and we have a sense of God's presence, we're experiencing the kingdom. When we pray for someone and God miraculously heals them, we are experiencing the kingdom. When our hearts are at peace, despite the world going crazy all around us, we are experiencing the kingdom. So, With all that in mind, I want to fast forward to today and ask another question. Does anyone here feel like maybe we could use some consolation or some redemption? I do. Uh, it seems like our country has not been as divided as it is now since at least the 1960s, if not the 1860s. Um, I wasn't alive in the 60s, but hearing from people who were alive during that time, um, 
we're we're kind of back in that level of, of craziness. It seems like the division, the hatred, the the misunderstanding that just seems to be at large in our country. Every time it seems like we're just about to come out of the coronavirus pandemic, something happens, right? The infection rate starts back up or a new variant gets discovered. Just this week, they're talking about this Omicron variant and all the travel that had been opened up is now getting clamped back down and people are getting stuck, unable to travel. We could, we could use some consolation, some redemption. So I, and I'm sure you guys do too, I hope for a lot of different things. I hope for the pandemic to end. I hope for my kids to get a good education. I hope for my community to, to come to know Jesus. Um, hope for revival. Hope for the division in our country to end. And those are all good things to hope for. But none of those things are my ultimate hope. And my ultimate hope is Jesus. I love that third song that we sang this morning. Jesus Christ, my living hope. He's alive. And so we can place our ultimate hope in him. Even if the coronavirus never goes away, I still have hope. Even if our country goes through Civil War II, I still have hope. Here's where our ultimate hope lies. Um, And I'm kind of headed into my closing here, even if you want to come back up and get ready. Because the suffering servant came, we know that the victorious king is coming. Because Jesus took the punishment for our sins, we don't have to be slaves to sin, nor do we have to pay the price for our own sins. Because Jesus defeated death by rising from the grave on the third day, we get to look forward to our own bodies being resurrected. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Um, Job, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, said it this way. This is from Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. He said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. So Job is saying, it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens around me. Even if the skin on my body gets destroyed, Job understood the resurrection. He said, in my flesh, I shall see God. He knew one day he would see God and stand before him in a resurrected body. 
because we get to experience tastes of God's kingdom here and now, we know that we'll get to experience the fullness of his kingdom when he returns. So that's where my ultimate hope is, and I hope I hope that speaks to, to someone here. Um, we're gonna we're gonna transition now to ministry time.